Hey, this is Pastor Will Hawk. Thank you for joining us and listening to the Mid-Tree Podcast. Currently, we're working on a series called Before We Go, as we think about the things as a church, as a body of believers that we need to know before we go out into the mission field that God has called us to, and specifically as a church, how we want to be a family where everybody pitches in and has a role to play. If you want to learn more about our story or connect with us, please check us out at our website, midtreechurch.com. Hyper excited to be with you. If you got your Bible in Matthew 22, like carpentry, uh, that would mean uh, hammer, nail, screw. This is a little creepy. This is sweet, though. Thank you, guys. Wow. I don't know how to respond to that. I feel loved, I feel known, I feel a little creeped out, and I'm wondering what part of the church budget paid for all those colored prints, but if Jimmy's holding one, I guess we're all right. Um, God, I, I've completely lost like my... Hey, Josh, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give us three minutes, and then it's our last night in this building anyway, so if I don't get to use that, I'll just use that thing. Um, by the way, it's our last night in this building. Hi. Yeah, all right. Praise God. I was up here this morning at Christ Community. Derek was here. I was here. They were praying and sending us off. It was a beautiful, awesome thing. All right. Let, let's jump into it. All right. Matthew. I told you five minutes. Give me five minutes. Matthew uh, 22, verse 23. Go ahead and flip there. Yesterday, I was hanging out with uh, my kids, and they were wanting to learn how to do backflips. A handful of them were wanting to learn how to do backflips. Um, and... I love teaching. It's like one of my favorite things in the world. Y'all probably already know that. So it doesn't matter to me a whole lot what I'm teaching. I just love it. And so uh, one of my kids in particular is excellent at backflips. I have to be careful up here. I don't want them to get too big ahead. And so one of them is excellent. The other one is trying to figure it out. And so I'm telling him, I'm like, all right, we're just going to do this baby steps, all right? You're going to jump. And I'm holding, I'm holding his hand on the trampoline. I'm like, now you got to give it something. And he starts jumping high. I'm like, all right. Next part, phase two, you're going to start leaning back. You're still going to land on your feet, but I want you to lean. I want face to the sky. I want chest to the sky as much as you can. We do that a few times, and then I say, all right, man, you've already done all the hard work. This time, when your chest goes to the sky, just bring your knees up. I got you. This is going to be all good. And here's what happened. Nobody got hurt. It was all good. He did a backflip, and it was awesome, and now he can do it without me on his own. But here's what I had to tell him. There are some things in life that if you do it halfway, you're gonna get more hurt than if you don't do it at all, all right? When I was trying to, I was like in my mid-20s, I wanted to learn how to do a gainer. Uh, a gainer into a pool is where you jump forward off the diving board and then you do a backflip. The same thing that I taught them is what I did. Check, one, two, one, 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 two, check, 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 check. Check. The same thing that, woo. A little hot, a little hot. The same thing that you do to learn a gainer is basically the same thing as a, a backflip. But you have to realize that if you screw up, you're not hitting a trampoline, you're hitting your head on a board and it's gonna be real bad. There are things in life that if you do it halfway, it is more dangerous than for you not to do it at all. I really think that's what church is. Now let me explain. Going to church, sorry, I didn't mean to go like deep and heavy real quick, but man, it's just true. 
Going to church, playing the game, going through the motions, checking the boxes is probably one of the most spiritually negligent, scary, dangerous things that you can do for your soul. It would be like trying to learn a backflip without actually sending it. It would be like trying to do a gainer into the pool halfway. You're gonna get hurt. You're gonna create problems. Other people are going to be worried. And so we've been doing this before we go. Seven things to know before we go. Tonight, we are talking about meaningful membership. Now, let me just say this. Most of you guys get this, right? I, I really think you guys are, will you turn it down a little just so I can yell when I want to and not to? I, I think this is something our church really, really does well, but I don't want to neglect to, to highlight it because I think it's one of the best parts of our church. If I'm honest with you, I think it is absolutely one of the best parts of our church. But as we begin thinking of this concept of to do some things halfway is more dangerous to not do them at all, I just wanna ask you this question as we hop in. Where in your walk with Jesus are you being timid where God desires boldness? Now, being a good church member may not be the thing that you think of here. Because most people think being a good church member means your attendance is on point. That's not what good membership is. It's, it's an aspect. Being a good member is so much bigger and wider and deeper than that. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. But I, I was just thinking about this. You know, right now, lots of people, in fact, most people are just doing life. They're watching TV, they're on Netflix, they're checking out golf, they're eating dinner, they're doing something else. You're here. You're here. You decided not to be doing any other type thing to sit down and get your head, your mind, and your heart in God's word. So why not make the most of it? Where in your walk with Jesus are you being timid where God desires boldness, where you're giving it a halfway and you might even actually be causing problems for yourself that you won't just send it? That's the question. Now, this evening, I want you to think about that question in addition to whatever the Holy Spirit is putting in your heart when it comes to meaningful church membership. Now, meaningful membership is one of our big three, but here's the question. Should it be? Meaningful membership is one of our big three at Midtree. Should it be? Uh, th there are lots of different ways that, that churches do church. I, I think you guys know this pretty well. We would say a healthy church Gospel, community, mission. I, I think that's across the board. It doesn't matter if you're in North Africa. It doesn't matter if you're in America. It doesn't matter if you were in the 1700s or if the Lord tarries in the 2200s. Gospel, community, and mission. And in that order is what the church is called to. That's a healthy church. You can be Methodist. You can be Presbyterian. You can be anything. That you, all healthy churches should agree with that. I think a healthy church member, what God is calling you to be, we define it using the following terms, behold, believe, become, that you should increasingly, day by day, hour by hour, decision by decision, increasingly behold the glory of God, believe in his son, and become the man, woman, child that God has called you to be. And those three things, behold, believe, become, interplay. The more I behold God, the more I believe in his son. The more I believe in his son, the more I become who I'm called to be. Actually, the more I become who God's called to me, the more I behold him. You see what I'm saying? These all interplay and work off of each other. But as each of us are completely unique and different from our fingernails to our hair follicles to our fingerprint, every church, even though it's called to gospel community mission, every Christian, even though they're called to behold, believe, become, every local church is going to look a little bit different. This morning when I was here, they worshiped different. They talked different. They spoke different. Derek was preaching the same gospel, but they acted different. Why? 
because this church is a conglomeration of all of these unique people with all of their skills, all of their benefits, some of their difficulties and some of their edges. And that is what has made Midtree up. And so these are the three things that are, are Midtree's kind of big three. Like we all know what a healthy church should be. We all know what a healthy Christian should be. But here are the big three. Number one, solid theology and warm community. I hope you feel that. I hope you see it. I hope, I hope everywhere we do whatever we do, you can see that. We want our church to have solid theology and warm community. I, I think that's a tough tension. A lot of us can think about places that we grew up that was really good at one, but maybe not good at the other. We've put these two in tension because whenever Jesus walked around and was being Jesus, he was warm and he was loving and he, the children were around him and he is hitting like heavy, deep, meaningful, thoughtful theology. That's who we want to be. I'm going to drop down to number three. A family where everyone has a place and pitches in our MCGs. The goal is for there to be an empty seat at every table in every group. Every time we start, we're going to be revamping some stuff, hopefully soon to make it a little easier to accomplish that. Why? Because if I don't know your name, I still want you to have a place to sit at my table because I want to know your name. I can't think of a better way to get to know your name. But not only do I want you to have a place, I want you to be in a place that pitches in. I don't want a consumeristic church because God doesn't want a consumeristic church. We don't see that anywhere in scripture. We see people working and working hard, just like we're going to next week. But that second one is really what we're looking at this evening. Members that shepherd one another through the delights and difficulties of life. Can I tell you, that is very countercultural. And I don't mean countercultural from believers to non-believers. I'm saying that's actually very different than a lot of churches in the South. Most churches in the South would say members that are shepherded by pastors through the delights and the difficulties of life. That should happen. But one of the things that we see all throughout the New Testament is that Paul is reaching down to Timothy and he's pulling this guy up as Timothy is pulling others up and the sheep become under shepherds and then those sheep become under shepherds as God has, according to 1 Corinthians 12, given all of us a job to do. And so that's what we're really talking about tonight. Should we have as our big three that Midtree is a place where members shepherd one another through the delights and the difficulties of life? And I would say it is exceedingly important for us to do so if we want to reach our community with the gospel, if we want to glorify God, and if you and I want to make it to the end still loving Jesus and holding firm. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for this family, and Lindsay nailed it. Man, this is a family, and I'm so glad to be a part of it. Unworthy of it, but incredibly grateful for it. Thank you for my brothers, and thank you for my sisters. Thank you for those in this room that are spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers. Thank you for the children that we get to speak into. Man, God, the fact that you love us is incredible. The fact that you care about us, that you have your eyes on us, that you spend your spirit to lead us and to guide us, it is a phenomenal, incredible reality. And so as we dig into your word tonight, as we think about this concept of membership, Lord, I, I really want us to worship. I want us to see Jesus more clearly and fall more in love with him. So would you help us to do that as you craft like soft clay in your hands, this church to be the very thing that you have designed it to be. And I pray all these things in Christ's name, amen. Now, a lot of people, when I talk about church membership, Crosspoint was real big on, on church membership. A lot of times I would get this, Will, I can open my Bible, I can read left cover to right cover, you're not gonna find church membership in it. You'll find stuff that looks sort of like church membership, but you're never going to see it, to which I would say, mm, not exactly. Um, I, I'm gonna throw a quote up here. Uh, if this feels heady and deep, 
It is the headiest and the deepest quote that we have for the night. So just buckle up. You'll be able to make it through. This comes out of the Westminster Confession uh, uh, 1.6, which is like theme one, paragraph six. Here's what it says. The whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, for man's salvation, that means your salvation, faith and life, is either, two categories, expressly set down in scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from scripture. What that means is what God wants to make clear, he has no trouble making clear. A great example of this would be the, anybody? What? Trinity points to the guy who's trying to go on full time. All right, so absolutely, you're not gonna see the word Trinity anywhere in scripture. Does anybody deny it? We see it from Genesis all the way through Revelation. We see it at the baptism of Christ. We see it at the crucifixion that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are one. You're not gonna see the word there. That doesn't mean that it doesn't exist because it is good and necessary for it to do so. You don't have to be a theologian to see membership in the Bible. You just have to pay a little attention. I wanna show you a sixth grade science test. This isn't the exact test, but man, it looks just like it. You okay? I saw a little time. Yeah, y'all are ready to be done with school, and I'm throwing stuff up about school. This was when I realized I was a good test taker. I I was in the sixth grade. I was sitting in Miss Barrow's science class. It was when we had first started training, like, uh, going around and doing different classes. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like, you had a different science than English and social studies. I was sitting in the front of the class. I probably started in the back, but got moved to the front. I was sitting in the front of the class, and she passed out this little exam, this little test. And we did the thing that maybe you guys remember if y'all were in public school. You would take the test, and then you would pass it to a neighbor to grade. They would grade it, realize whether you were smart or dumb. Then they would pass it back and tell their friends whether you were smart or dumb. That's how it worked in public school. And I remember having this test, a test just like this. And one of the questions about halfway down, it said this. It said, there are three different types of science under which all of the sciences fall. Physical science, life science, and blank science. Anybody want to make a guess what it is? It's earth science. How do I know that? Because the dummy who put the test put it on the very top. Of course, that's going to be the answer to the question. So I don't know the answer, but I'm like, because I wasn't paying attention in class. I just jot down earth because it's what's on the top of the page. And then I get my buddy's paper and none of them get it right. And I'm like, what is wrong with you guys? It was literally written on the top of the page. That is how I think church membership exists in scripture. If the only way you're going to look for something is to see the word, you're going to miss so much in scripture. And I want to prove it to you the best way that I can. This is how Jesus saw scripture. It's how he used scripture in his earthly life. I I sent you guys to Matthew 22. We're gonna look at verse 23, 29, and 31 and 32. It'll appear behind me. The same day the Sadducees, it's sort of some religious elites, the same day the Sadducees came to him being Jesus, who say that there is no resurrection, and they asked him a question. Let me teach you something about the Bible really quick. Whenever you see a sentence that has comma statement comma, The Bible is intentionally giving you a detail or a footnote that it thinks is important. If you look at the sentence, it reads fine without that section. The same day the Sadducees came to him and they asked him a question. You could argue, that's a great sentence. Why did the the author, Matthew, as inspired by the Holy Spirit, include that little phraseology? The Sadducees, who say that there is no resurrection because what's about to happen matters off of that little phraseology. 
I'm taking you down a rabbit hole to show you that this good and necessary understanding of Scripture is important for your own study of God's Word. You see, the Sadducees were religious elites, but they primarily focused on five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's what they held to be the primary scriptures, the ones that Moses wrote down. So they asked Jesus a question, and it's supposed to be a bit of a humdinger. They basically say, this woman was married to guy A. He died, she married guy B. He died, she married guy C. So if you believe in the resurrection, it sounds like heaven's gonna be a pretty messy place. Whose house does she live in? Are they supposed to share her? That's the question that they hit Jesus with. I'll let you in your own time check out his complete answer. But I want you to notice what he says in verse 29. But Jesus answered them, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Now, that would be a moment in class where everybody goes, ooh, because Jesus is calling out the religious elites. He's calling them out publicly and he is putting on front street the fact that they don't know what they are talking about. And then in verse 31, here's what he says. And as for the resurrection of the dead, you don't believe in the resurrection? You want me to tell you about the resurrection? As for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? Then he hits verse 32 where he quotes from Exodus, which would have been a book that they would have listened to and would highly have regarded. And Jesus quotes Exodus and he says this to the guys who don't believe in resurrection. God told Moses out of a burning bush, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Jesus looks at me and he says, God doesn't say I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says, I still am their God, which must mean, according to what is good and necessary, even though you don't see the word resurrection right there, that Jesus went all the way back to Exodus and he said, you can see the resurrection right here. And then he drives the point home. He, being God, is not God of the dead, but of the living. The reason that I tell you this is because I don't want you to think it's just some 40-year-old guy who did a couple of Bible classes and went to a good church who believes in church membership. I believe in it because I, I, I believe it is so obvious in Scripture, so unappreciated in culture, and one of the easiest ways for you to receive and give love today. That's why it matters. It it, it matters because local church membership is biblical, beneficial, and beautiful. I put it into three Bs so that hopefully in three weeks you'll remember a piece of it. It's biblical, it's beneficial, and it's beautiful. So we're going to look at a couple of texts this evening. And with each text, we're going to ask these three questions. Is church membership in this text biblical? Because if it is then we need to obey it faithfully. Here's the deal. If something in the Bible is in the Bible, it doesn't matter whether we like it, okay? If you're a Christian who's pursuing God, who's wanting to walk by the Spirit and live like Christ, you don't have to like what the Bible says. You do have to do what the Bible says. And then you need to pray that God would change your heart. So if membership is biblical, we need to obey it faithfully. But as is the case most of the time, if God has called us to something biblically, it's also beneficial. It's good for you in lots of different ways. And so if it is beneficial, in addition to obeying faithfully, we need to receive this idea gratefully. This is not a halfway off the backboard. This is not half of a backflip. This is us saying, okay, if meaningful membership is in the scriptures, then I'm not only gonna obey it, I'm gonna be grateful for it, but I think there's something that we can take it one step further. 
Because if we can see, if God chose to put on display that membership, meaningful membership, is beautiful, I think it can cause us to worship, which is really what we're here for. I, I know that it may seem a little odd, but I believe God's word to be so amazing that in, in just a little while, when we stand up, you will sing louder. Your heart will soar more. Your eyes and, and your mind will be lifted to greater things because of church membership, which most people would say is old and dank and dusty and rigid old school theology. I don't think it is. I think it's living and I think it's life. So let's look at one of those texts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It's going to appear behind me. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 and 2. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. I don't see the word membership here yet. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were. Now, let's look at this text. Here's what we have right here and what is good and necessary. Paul, writing to a church at Corinth, which, by the way, one of the ways I know all churches kind of should be a little different, is he writes something different to the Corinthian church than he does to the Ephesians, than to the Galatians, than to the Romans, right? Different people, different contexts. But here's what he says to them. Now, brothers, at one point you were pagans. And the moment that he says that in God's word, this line is drawn in the spiritual sand. And Paul, writing, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is saying, hey, Christian, at one point you were a pagan. You were apart from God, opposed to God. But now you're not just in Christ. I am calling you brother, which is obviously a familial term. So here, even in this text, we can see that there is a line in the sand. There are those who are in and those who are out. But how do we cross this line of membership? Drop down to verse 12 and 13. In verse 12, we read this. For just as the body, speaking of a church, is one and has many members, just as there are many different faces in the crowd, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit... We were all baptized into one body. So how does the pagan go to the family of God? Well, this lays it out very quickly. They are baptized in. Now, many of you would raise your hand and say, you better explain it. Because Jimmy got baptized when he was five years old and he had no clue what was happening to him. Right? Everybody else in his little Sunday school class was getting baptized. And he's like, I don't want to go to hell. Right? Put me in that tub if it means I get to go to heaven and walk around on golden streets and it's perfect and awesome. I want that. Y'all have told me what hell's like. No thanks. But what the scripture is saying is more than just the act of baptism on the outside, the internal reality of baptism is the washing away of our sins, the new identity that we have in Christ. And then we go from pagan to brother. This is not just biblical. This is beneficial this is you, no matter how many crimes you have committed, no matter how heinous your sin is, being told that there is nothing that limits you from being in a family of people just like you that are pursuing Christ. The only thing holding you back is you. Jesus actually says this, I would imagine, with a tear or anger in his eye in Matthew 23, 37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. You've been running in all of this sin, opposed to God, which is exactly what all of us did before coming to the cross. But what was the heart of Christ? His gentle and lowly heart. 
How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? Thomas, come up. I want you to tell a funny story real quick. While you are, man, I remember being at a youth event and the thing, it, like the ceiling opened up. We were at a concert. I think Duck Dynasty was there or something. Stokes, do you remember this? I don't know. It just started pouring. I, it wasn't a dream. I remember it too much. But we were all huddled under this one little umbrella. You know, guys, girls, youth and whatnot. And I just, that's what I think of. I think of these people who when the, the storms of life come are drawn together under the umbrella of Christ. But Thomas is gonna tell you a story of maybe a, a little bit different. A little bit, a little bit. I'm Thomas, I'm the guy trying to go full time. Uh, so this, this actually happened while I was on staff at Midtree. Very early on, this was a couple years ago. And I went to a church Nameless church, nameless church, well, yeah. And I just wanted to see what it was like because I'd never been to this type of church. I just wanted to go. It was a Saturday night, and a buddy of mine went with me. He was actually the one that asked me to go. I was like, sure, I'll go. It was Master Sunday. No, 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 I did not. No, I did not. It was Crosspoint. Um, Saturday night, it was Master's Weekend, and unfortunately, the head pastor was not preaching, but it was an evangelist. And so we didn't get the full experience, and he was just very preaching on, on salvation and just, you know, kind of this to this, and it was just very just salvific. And uh, at the end of the sermon, he says, if you want to come down and receive Christ, please do so. If you're with somebody who uh, maybe you brought and you want them to, to come to know Christ, bring them down because they're probably nervous. And I'm sitting there, and I'm watching golf, and... And it's important because this old man walks up and he's got a master's shirt on, the little collar shirt with the thing on. And he walks up and he says, will you be my friend? And I looked at him and I said, oh, do you want to go down? And he says, if you wouldn't mind. I said, oh, sure. I jump up and he grabs my arm and he runs me down to the altar. And before I know it, I'm getting handed off to these other guys, like armed guards, bringing me into a back room and everyone's celebrating that I became a Christian. <laughs> and I don't know if I should have been more bold. It wasn't, I don't think it was like a boldness of like, whatever. I didn't say a single word in the room. I think, this may be sinful, but I, I think I wanted to see just where it would take me. Again, I didn't say anything. And they come and they're like, this is awesome. Like, here's your next step. You want to get baptized today? And I was like, nah, I'm good. And they're like, oh, man, like, you're a Christian now. This is awesome. Like, devil's going to try to, like, take you and, and make you think that you're not. But because you accepted Christ today, you are in the family. And this is awesome. And nothing can ever take that away. They, they very much so pro, uh, preached, uh, like, once saved, always saved. And they were like, you're in the family now. Good job. Thank you. And then I left, and my buddy was in the parking lot. And he's like, what the heck happened? I was like, I think I got saved again. <laughs> and so, yeah. Oh, yeah. Y'all want to clap for that? Did people clap for that, sir? <laughs> Unhealthy theology. Let's give him a huge hand. Can, can I just tell you that there's a reason meaningful membership is a distinctive here? Because one of the things that is most concerning is I've got to, the staff has to, the pastors have to, I got to stand before God with the stuff that I share with you guys. And one of the most unloving things that we can do as a church is give people a false assurance of faith. Tell people that you're inside, you're under the umbrella when you're not. But go back to this little text because there's a few words left in verse 13. 
In one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. And it's not because somebody grabbed us by the arm and dragged us down and threw us into the family of God. It's because at one time there were Jews or Greeks or slave or free, people who couldn't have been more different than one another, but they looked at the umbrella that is Christ and they climbed underneath it to protect them from the woeful and well-needed wrath of God. And still we huddled together like chicks under a hen, like people under an umbrella, not because of one walk down an aisle, but because I know that today I need the grace of God and you need the grace of God. And that draws us together. And that is beautiful. It's beautiful that we can be so different and all love the same Jesus because members identify with one another. That's what's happening here. In meaningful membership, you identify with one another. And the greatest identifying mark has nothing to do with you. It has to do with the fact that you need Jesus, and you need Jesus, and you need Jesus, and I need Jesus. That's what meaningful membership does. And it's biblical and beneficial and beautiful. Jump to 1 Timothy chapter 5. Timothy was a young guy that Paul was sort of training up in being a church planter and a pastor. And I want to look at this very specific thing that we see in the church taking membership seriously. 1 Timothy chapter 5, it'll be verse 3, 9, and 16. Verse 3, honor widows who are truly widows. Now, this may seem like a big U-turn. It's not. The widows in that culture were the least of these. They had no one to take care of them. They had no future prospects. Social security was not a thing. Nobody was getting a check in the mail. They had hope in God and God alone. If their husband had died, if they didn't have a son, if they didn't have children, if their son didn't have a wife that was willing to take him in, a widow in that culture was the least of these. But what does the church do? Verse nine, let a widow be enrolled if... She's not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband. Verse 16, drop all the way down. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let them care for the widow. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Now, what's happening in this context? The church is looking at those in their culture that are most needy and most vulnerable, and they feel something for them. They feel an obligation like family. That's what they feel. In fact, if you're in your like paper Bible or if you just scroll up on your app, if you look at the top of this chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 5, you'll probably see something that says instructions for the church. Paul says, Timothy, you've got to get this right. You can't get it wrong. Christianity is not about you building the church or adding numbers. It's not about power or prestige. It's about you never forgetting that Jesus Christ came to serve the least of these, that he walked among the least of these. And it is you leading your church to take on the burdens of those who it makes sense to take on their burdens. So is it biblical? Yes, I think one of the things that we see here about membership is that members step in to care for one another, but I don't think it's just biblical. I think it's beneficial too, because if you think about it, look at verse nine. This word in verse nine uh, that stands out to me is this word enrolled. If you'll throw that back up one more time, Bruner, 1 Timothy 5, 9, let a widow be enrolled. Now look, I'm not stepping out on a cliff. I'm just refusing to do half of a backflip here. I'm refusing to do half of a gainer. If someone is enrolled, that means that there is a list. 
You don't get enrolled into an ethereal idea. You're on a sheet of paper. When the elders get together and we realize that people need care, people put in a benevolence request and their name is on a sheet of paper. And then the elders get together and they say, we have limited resources. We have a family of members that we need to prioritize and take care of. We have missionaries that are taking the word of God out. Do we have resources to be able to be burdened to love these people well? And it only exists if there's a list for them to be put on. If they know who the elders are, if the elders know who they are. And not only that, there were expectations. This couldn't be some young chick. Now, I'll be honest to you. The fact that it says 60, I'm like, okay, because Paul goes on and he's like, because you know those young widows, they're going to get remarried anyway. And I'm like, okay, but is a 60-year-old just like, well, that was a great 40-year marriage. Got to see what's going on next. I, 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 the, the age is very interesting to me, but the point is this. Paul's like, look, We need to find the people who are truly in need before the church is burdened because we need to be able to take care for one another. And we can't take care of everything. So somebody who's uh, not less than 60, they're the wife of one husband. They've been wise in how they've lived. They're living out a godly life and they don't have a family to care for them. If they don't have a family, we become that family. You guys do this really, really well. My, my dad, when we thought that my dad was dying, that was what we, that's what all the doctors told us, my dad was dying. And my mom and I are going to hospice and we're trying to figure out, you know, what these last few days and weeks are going to look like. You guys are in all of the kindest ways blowing up my phone. Love you, praying for you. Can we, get, can we get you a meal? Somebody puts together a meal train and you love on us in an incredible way. And then, in God's sovereignty, which I still don't fully understand, my dad avoids every medical expectation and ends up being sort of okay. He still lives in a facility, but his prospects of life seem pretty promising at this point. And so we say, hey, quit bringing us meals. My dad's not going to die. I'm not having to plan a funeral. And lovingly, the church said, no. It's still hard. It's still difficult. Life is busted and you are walking through it. We refuse to not be burdened because you are family. And you may be sitting in this room and saying, well, you're the pastor of the church. They have to do that. You get paid to be here. Yeah, but the best stories aren't mine. The best stories are, are, are stories, I, I, I see the Womacks in the back of the room, I was just thinking about you guys, that the, the Womacks were, were people who I would call whenever there was like a difficulty or whatever, because they're like, yes, people, right? I pray for y'all to be less yes people, just so you know, because you just serve and you serve and you serve. And, and, and then they hit, I don't know what you guys would call it, how long of a season you would call it, but you invite a young man into your house and basically adopt Big Zeke. And then all of a sudden, you're, you're building a new business, and you're starting a new ministry, and you're leading an MCG, and, and your mom's health is on the table, and you're trying to figure it out. And, and the family that is typically the one on the top of the list to show up and serve, all of a sudden, they are the ones who are able to receive your love. And as a church, you do it. And in mourning and meals and moving, you guys are rock stars. You just are. We had a church discipline issue uh, within the past year. Uh, 
young woman whose husband just walked out. I'm not going to use any names, but if you've been here for any period of time, we walk through church discipline because we have meaningful membership. And, and the church was able to step in and care. And what that meant was not just meals. It meant meals. It meant childcare. It meant, hey, do you need help building a place set at Christmas? That's the kind of family I want to be a part of until Jesus calls me home. And I want to be a part of it on both sides. I want to give and I want to receive because it's incredibly beautiful. Because members, according to scripture, step in and they care for one another. That's what meaningful membership does. Biblical, beneficial, and beautiful. I want to show you one more. But this is the hardest for people to handle because it's the most, like people are like, yeah, the church is going to love on people. That's awesome. The church does need to be able to know who's in and who's out. That makes all the sense. This is the one that pushes against our American sensibilities the most. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Go ahead and flip there. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. We're going to talk about sexual immorality. I'm not going to go into any details if you've got the kids. Verse 1. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. Now, before we break into what does that mean? He's got his father's wife. Just notice this, among you, among pagans. Do you see this? That's a line in the sand. That is God's word saying there's something happening in the church that shouldn't even happen outside of the church. There's this line of membership, of meaningful membership. Well, what was happening in this situation? The church at Corinth was a mess, right? Like nobody raises their hand to be the pastor of the church of Corinth. They were just a hot mess, right? You, you just retire, you go on the mission, but you figure something else out. What was happening, I'm going to be as vague as I can and still explain the situation. This guy has a son, and then that guy marries some other lady, and the son says, that other lady's pretty attractive, mine. That's the story, but that's not the whole story. Here's the whole story. The church sees it happening. Like, they know it's happening at the church, and do you know what their response was? High five, guys. Man, it's all good. Isn't the grace of Jesus amazing? You can do whatever you want. Grace is so big. There is no sin that is too big or too great for the grace of God. And so as this person is actively, unrepentantly living in heinous sin that even unbelievers would say, that feels icky. The church is like, man, grace is awesome. And Paul says this. Look at verse 4. Oh, no, I'm sorry, verse 2. You are arrogant. Ought you not rather mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Meaningful membership. There's a line in the sand. You can't be removed from something that you're not a part of. If my teacher came to me when I was in 12th grade and said, Will, that's it. Tired of your shenanigans. You're out of yearbook. Wouldn't have mattered. I wasn't in yearbook. Can't remove me from it. I did get kicked out of newspaper. It's a true story. John, you were there. You got kicked out too. <laughs> John, this is a great story. I'm sorry. I, they were like, the only class that's open is drama. I don't know if you know John. He's never been up here before. That's a prayer request. Stokes can do it. You can do an announcement sometime. I was like, all right, fine. I'll go to drama. John was like, I will drop out of school and never come back if you put me in a drama class. Where'd you end up? Like computers or something like that? Yeah, whatever. You can't be kicked out of something that you aren't a part of. 
So the idea here is biblically, membership, there is this line. But then drop down to verse four. So what do they do about this? When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present, he's defining this. He's defining the church, gathering together. He's not saying you're at MCG. He's not saying you're hanging out in the parking lot afterward. He's saying, no, look, you're assembled in the name of Christ. The spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus. Then he says these words. And I told you this is going to be countercultural. Deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Whew. All right. Who wants to be a part of the church? Because here's what we're telling you, all right? What I'm telling you is if you want to be a part of this thing, I believe that thing. That thing does not mean that the moment you sin, we're going to call you up on stage and say, all right, Burton Keller, let's see what you posted on Facebook last week. Oh, goodness. Y'all see that? Get out. That's not what's happening here. What's happening is explained in the next passage. Deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved. This is what I think is one of the uniques of Mitri. We refuse to sweep unrepentant, heinous, public sin under the rug. We refuse to. And the reason that we refuse to is at least twofold. One, I refuse to stand before God on that day and have tried to do half of a backflip on loving and serving and shepherding you. But secondly, it's for our own good. And when I say our, I include me. The greatest threat to me not making it to the end and loving Jesus is me. It is not my wife. It is not you. It is not some woman who may walk by on the street or some offer of money that would pull me away. Those aren't the biggest issue. This is my biggest issue. You're your biggest issue and you're your biggest issue because here's what happens. I justify my own sin and you do the exact same thing. I become callous to things that I know I should minimize or walk away from and you do the exact thing. And then God says, but in a meeting like this, in a building like this, in a family like this, you are going to rub each other the wrong way and that is a very very good thing because you don't live in an isolated chamber because if you did your soul would be at greater risk but instead when I see Larry I'm just going to use you when I see Larry and if I see him struggling with sin and I mean struggling with sin to the point where he's not repenting and he's walking away I love him I love his kids I love his wife and I love the name of Jesus too much to not say anything that's what mid is supposed to be about It's what every church is supposed to be about. But for some reason, in our time and in our culture, it makes us unique. Drop to verse 9. So how do we do this? Well, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. And then Paul's like, let me explain. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or the swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to leave the world. He's like, I'm not saying you can't be around sin because you wouldn't have anywhere to go. What I'm saying is this, verse 11, I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of, and then he goes through a list. Now you may be saying, but Will, I am guilty of things. I do bear the name brother, but the guilt that you have has been levied to Christ every time you repent. 
He carries our guilt. You don't carry your guilt anymore. What Paul is saying is, if their guilt remains because of a lack of repentance, you cannot allow that person who thinks they're in Christ to convince themselves that they are for the sake of their soul. Not only that, it it diminishes the name of Jesus if outsiders see somebody living in an obviously sinful way and the church is just like, that's all right, brother, don't you worry about it. It's not what we're... We are called to. We are called to something so much more. Accountability is built into the Christian walk. Galatians 6, 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. You are as responsible for my soul as I am for yours. You're as responsible for the soul in front, behind, and beside you as I am. That's what it means when a church decides to shepherd themselves. And it's incredibly beautiful. It's beautiful when you see a marriage that was on the rocks and you were sure was not going to make it. Nobody in the world expected it to make it. To become even more beautiful than it was before. And we have those stories here. It's more beautiful when, when a woman that has been longing to conceive has gone through like zero pregnancy and then miscarriage and miscarriage and she's not alone and the church is around her that after all of that brokenness, a caring community comes behind her and the entire community celebrates that child. It is more beautiful when brokenness is undone. Stokes, you can go ahead and start coming up. For my birthday, my grandmother gave me this shirt. Um, My grandmother is 93 years old. This shirt was worn by my grandfather who passed away when I was about eight years old. What's funny to me is I have to roll the sleeves because they're not long enough. He was a giant to me. And I'm not a big guy, but the sleeves don't make it down to the end. And I wanted to wear this shirt just because it was special. And then I started thinking about this, this text. And I was like, man, I really do like old things more than new. I would rather have an old beat up table that's scarred than something new from Ikea. I would rather have worn leather than something that I could pick up at a retail store. And I would rather wear this than a shirt that I could grab somewhere else. Because I think there's something more beautiful when something is old and made new. I think there's just something about the gospel in it. And I was about to throw it in, in the dryer to like get rid of creases and seeing, and it, it smells like my grandmother's house a little bit. But I was like, ah, don't worry about it. it she, she kept it in pretty good shape. And I hung it up on my door. And as I was walking by on the way to come here this evening, I noticed a little dark spot in the pocket. And I was like, I wonder what that is. And in this pocket is a a little bitty leaf. It it doesn't mean anything to anybody here. I can't get it, but it's actually in there. There you are. There you go. It's this little bitty leaf. And I recognize it because after my grandfather passed away, I had to trim these hedges. And it sat here for 30-something years. When I think of the church, I think it's mostly made up of broken, creased, stained lives that God takes off the shelf and says, let me show you something beautiful. That's what membership is. It's not being perfect. 
It's displaying that in your imperfection, you're trusting in someone who is. Members identify with one another because Christ identified with us. Philippians 2 says that though he was in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Members step in and they care for one another because Christ stepped in, taking the form of a servant, being born in our own likeness. Meaningful membership is members protecting one another because Christ was willing to humble himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, that I would be protected from my own sin and brokenness. You guys are already really good at this. But where in your walk with Jesus are you being timid where God desires boldness? Is there a relationship that needs to be restored? Is there a conversation that needs to be had? Is there an honest confession that needs to be made? This is a family. And it's a family of people who are on the same journey, seeking the same Lord. But as we're on this journey, we really need one another. And by needing one another, we actually display to the world the most beautiful parts of who Christ is. If you would go ahead and stand with me. We have communion in front of us. And if you are a member of the household of God, you don't have to be a member here at Mentory, but if you are a believer in Christ, if you have sought the forgiveness of your sins and trusted in him, I wanna invite you as Stokes plays for you to come up and take the bread and take the juice. And then I will come up and I will lead us to take it as a family together. If this is a time when you need to get prayer, remember we got folks back there, use them for this. If you need encouragement, if you just want to share what's going on, I'll be back there. Actually, I won't because I got to come up here. Jimmy, I'm going to ask you to cover for me. Jimmy will be back there and Thomas and Emily will be back there. But let's respond. Let's take these last five minutes that we have and consider where is God calling you to be bold and let's seek him together.